You are listening to Mr. Apex Podcast. We love MotoGP. Hello and welcome to Mr. Apex MotoGP Podcast. This is a show put together by MotoGP fans pretending to be experts. We aim to have a race review show ready for your Tuesday morning commute. We may not be bike racers, but we love it. I am your host, Kyle Power, and today I'm joined in my virtual shed by two fellow MotoGP enthusiasts. It's returning from the land of the Dutch. It is Jules Seeger. How's it going? Hi, Kyle. Fired up to uh, speak about the sprint and Grand Prix race of this past weekend. Excellent. And returning from a week AWOL in the northernmost parts of the UK, it is Danny Henney. How's it going, Danny? I'm good, thanks, Kyle. I'm uh, glad to be invited back. I couldn't have done too bad last time. So yeah, looking forward to talking about another good race. I'm sure we can enjoy you on another episode. So without further ado, we will uh, get into it. A really quick mini recap and a championship status. So coming into this round, Bagnaia has a 14-point lead over Jorge Martin. Both of them have had their tyre pressure warnings, which thankfully, maybe this weekend, was a bit of a moot point. Didn't really play out. But yes, but Jules... This is looks like it could be the first shot for Bagnaia to wrap the title up. Yeah, there was some talk uh, prior to the weekend about uh, Peko being able to put himself on match point uh, on Saturday. Chance to wrap up the title if he uh, would outscore uh, Martin by 23 points. But it might not have gone that way. Yeah, has a bit of an outside chance. But essentially, his first, first shot at, at match point there. So this is round 19, Qatar at the Sale circuit. Now, quite prominent going into this weekend was that uh, since the last time MotoGP has been here, there has been a major track resurface, which was done for the F1. So um, they have no data and there are some very fast lap times going in. So with the weekend overview uh, going into practice, and it was quite an eventful practice. And at times, Danny, it looked like one of those dodgy faux leather market stalls because there are a lot of handbags out on display. Yeah, there was a few riders falling out with each other. Um, obviously, the, the one I noticed the most was the um, Bozeki and Paul incident, where they were kind of getting into each other. And then when Paul pulled up to do their practice starts, Bozeki just kept nudging him from behind. I think they counted up to six times. So, yeah, they were certainly having a bit of niggle out on track. And then, um, obviously, there was another incident out on practice as well, where I'm sure Jules wants to talk about but. Uh, yeah, it was certainly interesting to see how they were going to go. It was a bit more uh, niggled than we used to see, and should I say? Yeah, that um, that Bezeki one uh, reminded me of there was a story in the Valentino Rossi book, and when he got into the championship in two thousand, he saw Max Biaggi used to do very close passes on people uh, and to try to intimidate them. And Rossi, I think it was in Motegi, like put his bike into neutral when they're doing their practice starts and just cruised up behind Biaggi on purpose and whacked his rear wheel on purpose just to let him know he was there. And that gave me shades of that. Surprised I wasn't really looked at and there was no reprimands, I don't think. But Jules, my goodness, Alicia Spargaro and uh, and and Frankie Morbidelli, that was that was some freak out from Aleish. Yeah, he's not had the best reputation uh, amongst his uh, colleague drivers. Yeah, during the Friday, they met each other on track it was a bit hard to see because when the the uh, director switched to uh, to their cameras it was a bit hard to determine what happened beforehand but they met uh, they got in each other's way and uh Alex he just uh, he just uh, started fuming at at Morbidelli 
And then Mobadeli gestured a bit like, okay, easy, easy, just calm down, you know. <laughs> Alexi he wasn't having any of it and just slapped him on the helmet as, as if it was, uh, you know, a, a mother slapping uh, uh, her child for being bad, you know. So it was funny, but also a bit disper- disturbing to see. And uh, he, he had a, a, a fine of $10,000, I think, and a, and a six-place uh, drop on the grid. Yeah, exactly. I think that sixth place grid drop, Danny, is quite fair and just. We don't really want to be seeing stuff like this. I'm going to say it again two times in two weeks. Role models. It's not a very good example to set, is it, if you're going around and, and backhanding your competitors on live on TV? No, I'm actually surprised he, he only got a sixth place grid penalty. Yeah. I actually thought it would have been the fact that he, like, I know it was quite a soft tap on the helmet, etc., and it won't hurt more, but, Deli, but the fact he lashed out. I was surprised it was just a, a grid penalty. I, I'm, you know, I would have half expected them to have actually chucked him out of the race to set a real harsh example of you do not touch another competitor when you're angry. Um, but yeah, he got the sixth place grid penalty. And as you say, at the end of the day, they're role models to, to kids looking up to them, wanting to get into the sport as they, they grow up and get up through the chain. So yeah, it's not a good uh, example to be setting for the younger people. No, absolutely. And, uh, and talking about role models, and in Moto3, there was a lot of shenanigans. We'll mention Moto3 a little bit later. We're not going to go too far into it, but we've seen Marquez trying to tail people and trying to get a tow. And this was no different to try and get that Honda into the top 10, which he did when it has absolutely no right whatsoever to be anywhere near the top 10. But he managed to do it, and that's why he does it. But oddly, Martin is looking a little bit on the back foot. And in one of the sessions, Jules, he looks like he's way down. He's like finishes the session pretty much last. Like, what do you think is going on there? It was a bit odd because um, before the weekend, uh, some media referred back to last year, like, oh, uh, uh, Martin had Paul in Qatar and everybody expected him to be fast because he's been so fast in recent weekends. But he seemed maybe a bit tense, less frivolous as we as we often see him. And not as cool and collected as we often see him. And then he had a, he had a, fr- a frustrating qualifying session. And you could see him being uh, being annoyed and maybe being even a bit angry with how his bike was performing. Yeah, they looked a little bit lost. Um, yeah, I agree. He was he the frustration started to come out. So, like Danny, were you thinking along what I was thinking of? He's just purely gearing up, setting up for the race. Or do you think he was genuinely struggling? I think he was genuinely struggling. I think it was the first time we've seen where the pressure had started to get to him. Um, and I don't think massive pressure, but I think it was the first time he'd gone in thinking, it's getting really close now. And if I make one mistake, I'm out. It's, you know, the championship's going to be bag noise. And I think he tried something. And as it slowly started to not be where he needed the bike to be, I think it just compounded then mostly mentally. And I think the harder he tried to push, the worse it became. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just a little bit of the pressure of the championship finally getting to him and he buckled a little bit, uh, but obviously managed to get back in line later on in the, the weekend. But, yeah, it was interesting to see. First time we've seen him have a bit of a, a slip up, should we say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And especially at these crucial times, I mean, practice, the way MotoGP is set up anyway, I really like with the way that, Basically, most sessions mean something and the whole weekend builds up to the main event, which I quite like how they do that. So whilst all these handbags are going on and people trying to follow each other and stuff like that, so Marini gets pole. He's looked fantastic all weekend. Uh, he looks like the only one who can make the front soft tyre, the front 
tire, the soft one, work. Um, Digi second and Alex Marquez third. So, Jules, that makes it a Grassini, all Grassini front row, basically. Both bikes on the front row. That's a great achievement from a privateer team. Definitely. And also because um, Alex Marquez had been really fast uh, the week before already. But you have to think of this bike. We always talk of it like it's a one-year-old Ducati, but we're actually at the very end of uh, of the 23 season. So you can you can even almost say it's almost a two-year-old bike. So it was really impressive from the team that they put it um, on, on such a difficult uh, surface that they put it on the front row. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. It's almost a two-year-old bike. And that just shows how good that Ducati is. And also, it's a good little inkling for next year when a certain Mr. Marquez... The other Marquez is going to jump on it, a one-year-old bike again. You can see that they're clearly competitive. So that's good. So Marini gets pole. Uh, Digi second with Alex Marquez third. Bagnaia and, and Martina fourth and fifth on the second row. So we've got the championship protagonists right next to each other. Um, another little notable point for the weekend is um, Anaya Bastianini, after the highs of last weekend, being brought crashing back down to earth this weekend and having his lap ruined in qualifying with Ika Laquona, who just backed off on the racing line. And Bastianini is usually pretty chill and calm, but he absolutely freaked at um, Laquona, quite rightfully. So I think uh, Laquona just didn't know he was there and it was just foolish. At the hot end of qualifying, to back off on the racing line was not clever. He was lucky not to get a pile drive. But that sets up nicely going into our sprint review then. So going into the sprint, guys, that was a great race. I think after after Malaysia, which is a bit processional, the sprint, we had we had some we had some shenanigans going on here and immediately from turn one, like back, um Martin gets a great jump and goes up the inside and actually whacks handlebars with um with Bagnar and just moves him out. So he's aggressive straight off the bat, Jules. It was it was just from the off, it was it was a battle that we all wanted to see this weekend. And Martin was taking no prisoners. He he touched uh, Bayaya um, in in the very first moment they had together. And um, Pekka would later, after the sprint race, say like, "Okay, I think this was this was great of him to do it. It was it was all fine." And because he now set the standard, the he. He opened up the, as he called it, the situation where they could actually fight in this way together. And that almost, that sounded like uh, Pekko was trying to do the fight his way, as is more cautious and maybe a bit more mannered, so to say. No offense to Jorge. But then the heat was on and uh, and the fight was on. Yeah, that's a good point, Jules. So yeah, Danny, fighty talk from, um, from Bagnaya. And those words, I don't know what your opinion is, but in my opinion, that's pretty much suggesting of an eye for an eye. I'm just going to do the same thing to you. Yeah, 100%. He's, uh, like you say, I think Martin took him a bit surprised how aggressive he was. And now the the uh, battle lines have been drawn, should we say. I think he can expect it back whenever there's a opportunity for Bagnaya to stick him out a little bit and get a bit of aggressive with, our, with him out on track. So it's really good to see, like, this is one thing this championship fight has kind of lacked. It's a bit of needle, really, and a bit of beef. And it started to get a bit beefy. That was cool. So on the first lap, there was quite a large accident as well with Oliveira going into the back of um, Aleish and also taking Bastianini with them and ironically pushes Morbidelli off as well. But that was ended up, if you've seen the footage, ended up being quite a nasty high side there for Aleish and ends up having a fracture on his tibia. So a miserable weekend for Aleish just gets compounded with he with him hitting the deck pretty, pretty hard. So that was bad. Um, 
I don't know if any of you guys have any comments on that. That looked just like Oliveira outbreaking himself and just smashing into the back of the leash. Yeah, I think it was just a little bit of a mistake, but uh, unfortunately turned into a big crash what went down as to get a few injuries out to him. Uh, initially, when it happened, I thought it was Alation Morbidelli gone again. I thought it was just them two what had got together and took each other out because I, it, towards the end of the formation lap, it was picked up by the commentators that Alation Morbidelli were getting into each other a little bit just on that, just as they were starting to uh, grid up. So initially, I thought it was them two, but yeah, shame. A shame with uh, it took the riders out, and it's a shame that some of them have sustained some injuries. Yeah, and uh, and so with Aleish, he's got his sixth place grid penalty for the actual main MotoGP event. So he actually, it's in his best interests to to actually try to ride in the Sunday to get rid of that penalty. Otherwise, he'll carry it through to him to the next round. So it's all good to get your misdemeanors out of the way. So whilst all this is happening and it's settling down, um, Bagnaya is is settling in. Martin has been a bit roughed up. Has been a bit roughed up by um by you know he's starting his getting past Bagnaya and now all of a sudden, you know, we were it looked like from practice that Martin was going to slip back and then all of a sudden his pace was there, Jules. He all of a sudden started looking very, very fighty. It was like day and night. Uh we just discussed how Martin was you know, upset on uh, on how it went on about how it went on Friday, and then in the sprint race he just took off like he was on a rocket ship or whatever. Already on the grid, Gino Borsoi he said we were struggling on the tire on Friday. We didn't have the feel, we didn't have the confidence, but we found something overnight, and they expected the race pace to be better. And he even repeated that on the on the main uh, uh, television stream like we found something overnight almost as if you wanted it to be mysterious you know and uh, yeah well whatever it was it definitely worked on the saturday yep well that something danny could have well been a bit of beef to give some more beef to bagnaya because he then puts he goes wide i think it's at the end of lap one or two martin goes wide drops back behind bagnaya and then puts another really, this one's rougher than the first move. He comes from miles back and he does move Bagnaya out wide. So in your opinion, the expert racer, Danny Henning, was that a dirty move or just a bit tough? I think it was good. It was just a bit of a, uh, I think he's got to get his elbows out. He's got to get a bit of a um, an advantage in the mental game, should I say, with Bagnaya. He is behind. You know, he needs to start taking points out of Bagnaya. And I think, yeah, that was just one of them. I'm going to stick a move on you. And again, I'm just going to let you know that if you want to go wheel to wheel with me, you're going to have to come and be prepared to, you know, potentially fall down as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a good move. Uh, for me, it was uh, aggressive, but well within the, the rules of the sport. And yeah, it was good to see. And like I say, adding to that little bit of need of what we, we want to see between them, really, going into the last round. Yeah, I think, I think Martin did that really well. I mean, we can all talk on beforehand about like oh, he's he's the, the fastest guy and he's he's the one in, in in best shape but still he needed to to make up a deficit so he had to try something this this weekend and he really did i thought peko tried to play tough at the start but then he just got out toughed by uh, by martin and i thought in that sprint he was so balls out that it it was a statement and a half from then from him addressed to Pecco and and I was well impressed. Yeah, that yeah, was good. It was good to see him getting fighty. And there's such a narrow line there with the sand that it's really hard for them to make a pass. So Martin actually comes from quite far back. So it's quite impressive he got it stopped and it wasn't too rude. 
not as rude as what we saw in Moto3. Now, we don't cover Moto3, but I feel compelled that I have to make some sort of comment on there because how that championship was won by Jan Messia and his teammate from the Leopold Racing Team, I thought that was about as clean as a cracked den toilet. That was that was rough, uh, and it was much rougher than what we saw in, in MotoGP. Uh, not a huge fan of that. We won't say too much more, but I thought that was a fitting place to 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 mention that because I think Martin was just on the right side of of tough racing, whereas I think what happened in Moto3 was far beyond fair and tough racing, in my opinion, but enough of that. Talking about tough moves, round about this time in the sprint, Binder puts uh, an extremely tough move on Mark Marquez and basically just like punts him off the track. And fair play, Marquez, as in we've seen Marquez dish this out to people previously, and he didn't moan about it. He said in the press, he was like, nope, it was fine. I've got no issues with it. It was a tough move, whatever. So fair play for not being a massive hypocrite, which every motorsport person seems to be a huge hypocrite. Apart from Marquez was like, yeah, I do it. So whatever. So fair play, Mark Marquez. Um, so after this, Martin is really pushing towards the front. He he dispatches Alex Marquez and then passes Marini to take the lead with six to go and doesn't quite check out, but he gets to the front. An amazing turnaround from practice. And while this is happening, Bagnai is not really making any progress and it all starts to spread out. So as we go to come over the line, Martin ends up winning it from Digi that's gone with him. Them two make a break. Digi's pace is looking amazing. This is so good to see. And this is a guy who pretty sure has been told before this weekend that he's not going to have a ride next year. It could be a day late and a dollar short with his performances. But after changing that bike radically, he's, he's hit this rich vein of form and performance. And it would be such a shame to see him go. But anyway, he comes over in second. Yes, Jules. That was obviously in the, indeed the news. And, and I think uh, uh, DG also said this, like after Sepang, I had some, some bad news. But apparently he was only now allowed to tweak his Ducati in the way he wanted, that he got more freedom for the setup. Because apparently... If you drive the Ducati, it, it, you're limited to what the factory wants you to do with that bike. So this was apparently the first weekend where he could actually tweak it and set it up like he wanted to. And it and, and boy, it showed. Yeah, I think it's actually an evolution. This happened like two or three rounds ago. They knew they weren't going to be in that team and they threw caution to the wind. But yeah, Ducati like to keep their bikes all ridden in a, in a certain window. And basically he was being told you have to adapt yourself to this bike and at the end him and his crew chief were thought well sod it let's let's just let's let's change it and they've gone completely radical totally different from all the other Ducatis and wow look at that so that's probably a bit of a wake-up call for Ducati because I'm pretty sure Marquez isn't going to be riding the bike in a conventional way next year so they're going to have to give him a bit more um they're going to have to give him a bit more uh freedom there so there's an interesting result for the sprint then so with Martin winning and Digi in second, with Marini third, Alex Marquez, and then Bagnaia only in fifth. This brings the championship lead down to seven points, Danny. It's looking very, very tight, and the championship is now hotting up. It is. Martin did an excellent job in the sprint. Uh, Digi did a brilliant job with him as well. Digi was a bit of a stealth rider, to be honest, because everyone was kind of focused on Martin coming through the field. And then obviously Digi come up behind him as well. And I thought he was going to nick it off him. How quick he, he managed to get on with him. Looked like he would close him down. I think he got to within two and a half temps at one point. And I thought, go on, make the move. Let's see it. Uh, but yeah, Martin managed to hold on. But yeah, going into the last race, uh, it was going to be interesting because the points are so close. 
neither of the two top riders could afford a mistake or any other kind of hindrance, should I say, to their bike uh, through the race because they had to keep within that pattern, certainly not drop points, if anything, try and extend the points. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a salivating scene set then for our Grand Prix review. But before we do that, as I like to do on these shows, as always, I like to take a tiny little bit of time out to get to know our panel a little bit better. So Jules, you've been on every show so far. And uh, so I'm going to start running out of questions for you. But the question (laughs) I want to ask you today is, what is your favorite MotoGP track, past or present? I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, when I, when I read your fa- your question first, I thought, oh, that's a good question. What track? And then I thought, well, obviously, it's my it's my home track and uh, the the TT circuit in Assen, and uh, not just because because it's uh, in in my home country, but also, uh, and I, I don't think many people know that the first uh, FIM World Championship season was in 1949 after World War II. And the TT circuit in Oslo was already on the calendar then. And bar uh, COVID year 2020, it has always been in the, in the World Championship. And it was a street circuit back then. A little bit of the, of the current track uh, has still a, a, a part of that in it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good track. Love the last few corners. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite tracks. Although I do prefer the older layout as a as an old school world superbike Carl Fogarty fan, that was basically his second home of like foggy Assin. And I remember the old Assin with the crazy fast flip-flops, the three of them before going into the second chicane used to be an amazing layout. And now they've butchered it somewhat, but it's still amazing. What a track. So thanks, Jules. That's really good for that. So Danny, you went on last week and I would still like to ask you the same question I asked Jules. So I'm going to ask you, what impresses you most about MotoGP riders versus other sports? Uh, there's a couple of things, really, but I'll probably say that the main two bits for me, one, the braking. It's just incredible how they, how they break the bikes down from the speed what they're doing. For the fact that they're going into the corners most of the time completely sideways and they just look totally bonkers and out of control, um, it's super impressive to appreciate that they're actually getting the, the bike down and into the corner and they're not just sliding off. Although there are a few what do that a couple of times, but hey-o. And the other one is how they use the body. They're absolutely incredible. How they move around that bike so much and the impact of how their body in what position it is can have on the bike as well is just super impressive. To be able to learn that, I mean, it's hard enough, I imagine, learning the bike, how to brake, accelerate, keep the wheel down, you know, get the traction, tucking behind the, the windscreen and you just you watch them on the bike moving, then you've got to figure out where do you put your, your weight across the front, the back, where do I lean in, how low do I lean. Um, yeah, it's just super, super impressive to watch from a, from a distance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that. Uh, in MotoGP, in my opinion, I think the riders make much more of a difference than they can in, say, like Formula 1. In Formula 1, I think it's 95% car, 5% driver, whereas in MotoGP, I think it's 70% bike, 30% rider. They can make a like an actual decent a decent difference well marquez has proved that hasn't he on that honda over the last couple of years when everybody else on a honda has been miles away and mark marquez has still been well, not recently obviously but still been battling up near the front and taking championships it's just super impressive to watch what as you say what talent a good rider can bring to the team yep absolutely absolutely agree so that's a nice time to move on to our grand prix review tires I was not 
too much of an issue here. Most of the grid are starting on a hard front and hard rear, but Marini, just like the sprint, is sticking with that soft front, Jules. Do you think that's a risk? I didn't think so before the Grand Prix because he had been handling the tires so well during practice uh, practice sessions. But then during the race, pretty soon, it looked like he was he was starting to drop back. And, and I thought maybe that soft front tire isn't working that well this time. But he seemed to recover pretty well after that. Yeah. Yeah, Danny, like he seemed like one of the only riders who could run the soft front tire. And I guess sometimes with this, it's all about feel. He felt he could get to the get to the end on this whereas the other riders particularly on the braking didn't have the feeling yeah i was surprised to see him on it to be honest i thought the the front was going to burn out with being a soft tire and would see him to drop back through the field uh from the start obviously he, he did drop back a little bit but i certainly expected it to just burn out and him drop like a stone um but yeah he, he man handled the tire quite well going through the race and i think it could be as you've said probably how he breaks and tips the bike in being able to get a bit more life out of a soft tire than some of the other riders which are quite aggressive as they get the bike into the the corner certainly miller would be an example it looks like he's totally out of control um but yeah i think it must be a rider style thing uh which has helped him to take that chance and see how he gets on in the race so guys while we're still at the point before the lights actually went out for for the race to start did you guys notice that peko jump the start for the warm-up lap to get in front of everybody and ride that whole lap as the first rider. And he already also did that during the sprint on Saturday. Why Why did he do that? Well, uh, I'm the host, so I'm taking it first. It's my it's my football. <laughs> so, um, no, uh, I, I think he just wanted to get out and one, didn't want extra heat on his front tyre. Um, getting in the pack but also much like with Formula 1 these guys have to prepare build their temperatures get their brakes ready get their tyres ready and I think he just wanted to get out not messing around with anyone and just get through his preparation on his own what do you reckon Danny? Uh, For me I think it's a bit different I think it's a mental game I think he's trying to send a psychological shot to the others that I plan on being at the front of the race and the reason I say that is I've done that in my real racing uh if you get a chance, a little tiny psychological advantage can make or break a race for you. And I think you just wanted to say, look, guys, I know we're all on here, but I want to be out front to send a clear signal that I expect to be at the front and win in this race. Okay, that's quite an interesting theory. I never actually thought that, to be honest. Uh, you could be true. Could could not be. Um, obviously, naturally, I think I'm right and you're completely wrong, as always, but never mind. We'll move on. I'm definitely so talking- right. <laughs> so talking of dropping like stones and uh and making a bad a bad start martin scary 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 start looks like he was going to end it up being tipped over the handlebars and laying on the tarmac in front of the whole pack going towards them jules when you saw that at first what did you think caused that at first, I didn't even really see what happened because you're just looking at the whole pack and you just all of a sudden see him, you know, not getting not getting that great a start, having, having a bad start. But then when you saw the replays, it just looked like his, his whole shot device, that, that launch mode, it, it looked like his front tire was, wanted to bury itself into the tarmac and, 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 and he was losing his rear left and right. I think he, he corrected it four or five times it, uh, during the onboards. You, you can hear him going off throttle, I think maybe even three times. Uh, 
So it was just, it, it, it was terrible. And later he would blame it on the, the bad tire he claimed he had. But I actually doubt that at that point, a bad tire would already have such an impact. I, I think maybe it was the nerves or the pressure, or is that an easy thing to say? Possibly. Um, he'd actually had a couple of really bad practice starts during the weekend and had a similar thing. So I don't think if it was a duff tire, I don't think that was it. I personally thought that they had a really long hold. Then it went and he just dropped the clutch. I know they've got launch control and these whole shot devices, but it seemed like he kind of got caught a little bit off balance, dropped the clutch and it spun the rear up. But actually he was having problems with the start uh, all weekend. So Danny, what do you reckon? Technical issue, dropping the clutch too hard or duff tire? I initially thought it was a technical issue, but now you bring up the um, the other starts that he was doing over the weekend. I think it was probably a rider, a rider issue on it. Uh, and obviously not a massive... Uh, change to what he's done previously I don't think but yeah he just looked like he got the start a little bit wrong and then by god did he manage to hold on to the bike I thought he was going to be uh, hitting the ground pretty quick but yeah he managed to recover and obviously get away with a pack but yeah I certainly think looking at what we had it was a, a rider issue rather than a technical one yeah there, were all, there was already talk of the the grit and or maybe even the whole track being dirty and sandy there was a lot of wind but uh, I think after uh, Luca Marini uh, complained that his pole spot was actually on, on a dirty side, they, they swept the whole grid. So they cleaned. It was the same grid for everyone, uh, dirt-wise. So it, I would say it couldn't have been that. And everybody else had a decent start, I think. And even his teammate, Johan Zarco, had a, had, a, had a decent start. So it was really odd. Yeah. And that's really good. You mentioned Zarco because Martin actually drops down to eighth. Zarco gets ahead of him, Danny. And then did you think he was, Martin was cooked then? Because personally, I thought he was just going to come ripping back through. Yeah, I thought Martin was just kind of gathered up what happened at the start, was going to sit there and then he was going to drop the hammer and go after the other riders because on Saturday, he looked like he was in a different league of bike. He could turn harder, tighter out accelerate everybody he just ripped through the pack so whether you looked and watched him have a poor start you just went oh he'll settle in for a lap or two and then as on Saturday he would just start to come through the pack and eventually get to the front and uh and yeah when it didn't start happening it was uh it was a bit surprising to be fair yeah so Zarco goes wide lets Martin through um that i I think I think that was just a plain mistake. I don't think there was anything to do with a uh, contrived teamwork. Zarka couldn't have known that Martin was right behind him. He obviously they don't have rear view mirrors, so he so he doesn't know. But yeah, Martin is not in the best position, and Bagnaya has an an awesome start and gets straight to the front and out into the lead, exactly where he wants to be. And there's a bit of a lead group forming then: a Bagnaya, Marini, Alex Marquez, De Gin Antonio, Binder, and Mark Marquez on a Honda, which again, has no right to be there whatsoever. So we're all expecting Marquez to drop like a stone, like he did in the sprint. He had a great start in the sprint and just vanished backwards very, very quickly. So um, by by lap three, the top six group have already gapped Martin by 1.2 seconds by this point. So I'm, I'm now, you know, it's like that meme when you see the person, the stick man holding a stick, poking something, saying, do something. I'm like, right, come on, Martin, like do something, go forward. But I think we're, we're starting to get the early signs that not all is well, Jules. You did, because after um, uh, Mark Marquez was actually ahead of him 
and you'd expect to clear that Martin would be able to clear him easily. And indeed, after the Saturday form, you'd expect him to just, you know, uh, blast ahead and, and recover what he's lost. But you could already see it was really hard work to even get a, get ahead of him. And that would make everyone wonder what, okay, what is going on here? Something seems really off here. Yeah, he's starting to to really sort of slip back and looks really vulnerable. It's only a couple of laps later where he actually finally manages to pass Mark Marquez to get up to sixth. And then, um, and then about the same time this is happening, Digi starts getting aggressive and moving forward. And you can clearly see he's got great pace. He's carried it over from the sprint. I don't think at any point at this point, people thought he could go and win it, but he's starting to move, push up toward, towards the front. And he puts a quite a tough move on Marini, who then gets absolutely mugged because Alex Marquez's teammate goes through and then Binder pushes through as well. We know Binder isn't shy. So yeah, Jules, at this point, do you, do you think that soft tire and Marini's um, Bugatti is actually a hindrance to him now because he's trying to nurse it too much? Yeah, like I said, I, at that point, I thought, oh, well, that, that soft front tire isn't working for him to the, tonight at all. And uh, especially it looked extra bad because he lost two places uh, in, in just such a short time. And then um, also with Digantonio, uh, you know, climbing up forwards and actually clinging on to Banyaya, it all of a sudden looked looked really bad for uh, for Marini. But it wasn't going to be that way yeah so digi pushes his way into second and starts to close down the lead on bagnaya who's opened up about a half second lead by this point martin is slipping back he's now 1.9 seconds back from the uh, pack and it actually looks like he has a rather dare i say a flaccid mark marquez behind him not looking like he wants to get particularly fighty knowing that his bike's useless doesn't really want to interfere with a fellow spaniard in the uh in the in the championship fight so he's starting to um he looks like he's almost sort of chaperoning him, but at some point he's left with no choice. <laughs> but he has to pass him because Martin looks so slow and you could see Martin getting very, very frustrated with his bike. And whilst this is happening, you've got Maverick Vinales and Fabio Quattuari coming to join the party as well, flying up behind them. And Martin's looking really, really vulnerable at this point. When Miller gets past Martin, I think that's when, Jules, we can see Martin getting a little bit frustrated with his bike. Yeah, first time you already saw his head shaking. And then after uh, uh, Miller passes him, <laughs> he exited at that turn and you could just, he's almost slapping that bike, you know, he's just really get really the frustration uh, showed. And um, it was good to, to see, um, you know, uh, types like Vinales and Quattararo actually being that far up front for their doing. But as far as Martin uh, goes, it was just it was almost painful to see because you could uh, you could see within a lap the huge gap that uh, Vinales and Quattararo were able to pull on him. I think what I noticed with Martin, like you said, we keep getting frustrating. The more frustrated he got, the further back in the pack he went. I definitely think he was in impacting his race pace himself because the more angry he got, the more mistakes he went. And then, as you say, the faster guys got up on him and just went past him like I don't know, I threw butter on some bits. I mean, Vinales went through, took off up the road, same with Quartararo. So it was interesting to see Marquez sit there, like you say, for ages until he kind of had no reason not to pass him. But yeah, it was certainly interesting to see how frustrated Martin was getting with it. And I certainly think he, he was the creation of his own downfall. Okay, yeah. So I agree. Like I think he... 
he was almost compounding his own situation by getting frustrated. But can you blame him? I actually, you you could say completely the other way. It was surprising that he didn't go and throw it down the road via through frustrating through frustration alone. Um, maybe in previous seasons we said this on a previous show that maybe he a bit more of an immature Martin probably would have pushed too hard and thrown it down the road. But he knows he needs those those points. So we've kind of breezed through the race a little bit, but with about seven laps to go. Alex Marquez and Marini start having a really good scrap for for um for second place because Digi and Bagnaya have checked out. They've got a four point seven gap over the next group, which now contains Vinales and Fabio Quattararo. And yeah, so with this um with this with this group, it's nice to have a nice variation of bikes in there. It's not just all a massive Ducati fest at the front. I thought that was really good to see, um, you know, get the types of Vinales, Quattro, uh, the the KTM guys, who I thought recovered pretty well after not so impressive uh, qualifying. So it was really nice to see this mixture of teams and and types and and, and brands, uh, you know, to have a, have a good a good scrap uh, for the positions they were in. Yeah, it's always nice to see. Always nice to see variety is the spice of life, as they say. So. We've got about five to go now, and um, Bastianini now, Bagnaia's teammate, gets on the back of Martin, and we're like, oh, from what we've seen in Moto3, is this going to be a a, um, a Verstappen-esque shove off the track? But no, nope, we didn't get it, um, which is nice. He passes him clean and then clears off as well, so it drops Martin down to 10th. He's luckily got Zarco behind him, his teammate, and Mark Marquez. Both of them look like they're somewhat chaperoning him <laughs> to the line. Um, neither of them want to pass him, but it's round about this point that the race starts getting interesting at the front because Digi starts looking looking pretty racy, is sitting there with Bagnaya, and then Digi gets the classic. He gets the mapping eight on his dashboard. And then we mentioned this in the show last week. This is the famous Lorenzo 2017 mapping eight that, that Ducati given him. And he's also given a quadruple zero and nothing else on his pit board. So I'm not going to lie. I, I, I initially thought that was an instruction direct from Ducati telling him to back off, do not pass Bagnaia. But in fact, it was actually a mini troll from his own team to the main Ducati team of, it was a predetermined, when there's four or five laps to go, they were going to tell him, this is go time. This is now full bananas time. If you've got any more bananas left, now's the time to use them. Go for it. You've saved your tire. Just basically hammer and tongs, go for it. Um, and they chose, apparently chose mapping eight as a bit of a, and a bit of a troll to the um, to the main Ducati team, and from an unsubstantiated source, I don't know where it's from. Apparently, David Tadotzi, um, the humanity manager of the main Ducati team, wasn't particularly enamoured with that troll. Apparently, which I found quite interesting. So, but Digi and his team, Digi's leaving, so he doesn't really care. But, but Danny, when you saw that mapping eight come up, did you think that was a team order to stay behind, or did you think that was to go push? No, I thought it was team order. I thought that was the team saying, you're in second place. Great result for us as a team. Sit there. Do not risk trying to take out the the top rider in the top team uh, trying to win a race. Because obviously we knew that Digi was going to be excited. Obviously he's got the one chance he's out of the sport pretty much soon. Um, so yeah, it was interesting watching the that bit come up. Certainly the pit board. The pit board was more confusing than the, the mapping eight, I must admit. But yeah, I thought it was to tell him to sit in second place and bring it home. Almost very soon after receiving this signal, and with about three laps to go, um, well, it's about four laps to go, I think, Digi actually makes his move. Almost immediately after getting the signal, he makes his move, puts a great move onto Bagnaya, 
and that just shows confidence. As soon as I see him make the move, it's like, right, he thinks he can he can break and hold it. That's a really, we've seen Rossi do this in years gone by. I've sit there and wait, stalking them, then wait and then pounce. So it shows the confidence that he had in his team for them to give him the message because they knew that he had the pace and they had been fairly bullish over the weekend saying that they think he had the pace. So Danny, did you did you think that was a that was a really strong confident move or did you just think he just he just took what any chance he could get? I think he had it pre-planned. I think they'd watched it going down the main straight. You could see that Peko was extremely good on the brakes into turn one. Digi wasn't really getting close enough to him, so it was going to have to come through the corners. And where he made the move was just spot on. He got you seen him obviously draft up to the back of him and then just chuck it up. Probably caught Peko a little bit sleeping, and then yeah, once he got to the front, he was doing the old Rossi pull the pin and let's see how we can go. That was great. And then with three laps to go, Peko, the first time he's been sat in the slipstream going into turn one, Jules, and uh, and oh my goodness, I thought Peko was going to pile drive into the back of Digi there and throw it all away. My heart was in my throat. What a save. It it was a great save, but actually I thought at first he was actually going to pull that move. But then in the in the final bits of that straight, you, you just thought, oh, <laughs> This is going to go wrong. And uh, later I thought that uh, the difference between the old Ducati and, and this year's Ducati is, uh, well, among other things, uh, the way it breaks. And Bayaya likes how how, uh, uh, how how hard this Ducati breaks as opposed to last year's Ducati that breaks a bit more gradually. So I think he really knew, like, I can outbreak this guy for sure, you know. But then... <laughs> Even even if he if he thought like that, he still was surprised. I think, but by how soon he suddenly uh, was uh, was on the rear of uh, of uh, Digi. Yep, certainly a uh, brown trouser moment, shall we say, going in there. But it was all well in the end. It didn't it didn't matter. He didn't take him out. Luckily, as I as we've mentioned previously, that they he had that huge gap behind him, so he comes back on back onto the track and he's got a 2.7 gap to the people behind and he can just bring it home to the line. Now, I thought that was quite pertinent, actually, because I thought if he does get a tyre pressure penalty, that's three seconds. So I thought that could potentially be big, but in the end, they didn't get the tyre pressure warning. So in the end, sensation. Digi comes home and wins the race. What a fuzzy, warm, fuzzy feeling territory event that is. That's absolutely brilliant. Digi gets the race. He's almost certainly going to be crashing out of the sport, but he wins a shock race on a year-old Ducati for the Grassini team, which is always lovely to see them do well. Bagnaia second, Marini third, topping off a great weekend for Marini, but Jorge Martin is 10th and looking very frustrated over the line with that rear tyre. So with that result, that actually opens up the championship gap up to 21 points which I like all the riders I don't think I know which side of the fence I sit on or who I want to win this one but as a spectator gutted really um absolutely gutted so wrapping up the um wrapping this up then so we've got a 21 point lead in the championship so Jules that means basically it's out of Martin's hand and what does Peko have to do to seal it next week it's actually uh, fifth place or better in both uh, the sprint and the race next weekend that will 
bring him uh, his second world championship. They they would equal on points, but he'll have one more win than Martin. So, um, and even if he, for instance, finishes second in the sprint race, he could cruise to eighth on Sunday and still get the title. Yeah, it's not looking like the salivating prospect that we were hoping we were going to get. But after the... um but after the race, Martin had some quite interesting comments about his tyre. So he's blamed it on a on a duff rear tyre, which Pecco said he also may have had one in the sprint race. So I'm going to put a question to both of you. Martin basically says they beat us off the track. It's a shame the championship decided by a dodgy tyre. So I'm going to go to Danny first. Do you think that comment is fair? Uh, no, but I think he's <laughs> got to say that to keep himself mentally in the game. Because if he if he kind of admits to himself that they've made a mistake, losing the championship becomes more real. So he's for me, he's got to uh, find a reason within himself on why he's lost and he probably can't accept that he's not been the fastest rider and gone and win the race. So yeah, I think it's, it's not the right thing to say, but I think he's doing it as a bit of a defence mechanism to keep his spirits high going into the last round. Yeah. And Jules, do you think that was fair? Not really, but understandable. I think uh, he got done double, so to say. Uh, he had a bad tire from Michelin like uh, Banyaya had on, on Saturday, it appeared. But I think also we saw last Sunday, for instance, that Martin was way off the pace in the Sunday race as well uh, on, on that day. So as sharp and brutal he seems on the sprint he seems to struggle a bit with his with his pace on the on the longer races so i think it, it it's harsh on him it's understandable fully agree with danny that he needs to tell him himself this but i think he's been beaten on track often enough for uh, for if bayaya would win it it would be as well as deserved as if he he would win it Absolutely fair. So before moving on and getting our rider a moment of the race to wrap up the podcast, I'll just give my opinion on this. And I think the comments, particularly when they're not in his mother tongue, they're kind of, it might be lost in translation a bit. So when he actually says, you know, they've beaten us outside the track, I don't think he's insinuating or inferring that there was foul play or the they, I think it was just a, a sort of collective rhetorical day I don't think he actually really was accusing anybody of foul play there I think he was just exasperated with the situation so that closes out our race review and as always we like to end on giving some awards out so I'll kick off the first one for rider of the race because I'm not going to take the obvious one because I'm a very kind and lovely host and lets my panel do that so my rider of the race was was um Luca Marini nursing that front tire to third place and actually said after the race if he hadn't got caught up battling with all the shenanigans going on fighting that he thinks he could have gone with the front two so solid really really good weekend from Marini and it's he well he needs to be cashing those podiums now because if he's on that Honda next year I don't think it's really going to be getting many so Danny who is your rider of the race I've gone with the obvious one Digi mainly because it was tied between him and Bagnaya for the main race but the fact that Digi got second in the sprint race as well and potentially had the chance of winning that, he could have took a clean sweep. He was uh, he was incredible, lovely guy, and the celebrations at the end of the race, seeing the other riders coming up, you know, almost as happy for him winning as they would have been for the sales was a great sight to see. Yeah, brilliant. So, Jules, who was your rider? I'm going for Fabio Quattararo. Uh, yeah, I thought he, he did... Really well to get that Yamaha up to uh, P7. 
uh, before the weekend, he said, like, if I can get a decent start, I know I can fight for spots like P5, maybe even like like it looked in recent races. You'd almost forget, but last year around this time, he was the guy fighting Bayaya in the final race in Valencia for the title and he lost out on seven points, I think. So it, I thought it was really good to see him and, and the brand Yamaha, uh, you know, in in uh, in the fight again for uh, for some uh, some of the race brilliant that's fair and i completely agree so quickly the last things we're going to have from you two is the moment of the race my one was digi danny's already stolen it but my one was digi sitting there at the end of the race emotional sitting there not realizing what he's just done with all of the other riders coming up and congratulating him that is um that's brilliant that's very emotional stuff and it almost made my bottom lip wobble so jules what was your moment of the race? I'm going for Martin's start. It's set of a, a string of events that could decide the title. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. And Danny, what's your moment of the race? Easy. Bagnaya nearly chucking everything away and wiping Digi out at turn one with a couple of laps to go. <laughs> yes, definitely. That was a Shafinkta troubling moment. Uh, it certainly scared me watching. So... Thank you very much for joining us for this review of the Qatar Grand Prix. And please join us next week for the final round and the championship showdown, which takes place on the 26th of November at Valencia. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back to provide you with a race review next week. And in the meantime, keep loving your racing. <laughs>